Welcome, everybody, to the Steve Mathis Classics Podcast on Racer X. Thanks for listening. Appreciate just to picking a few gems out of all the ones we've done and uh, remastering them and remixing them and uh, selling them for more money. No, just kidding, but that's what you see all the time at uh, on iTunes and stuff. But, uh, no, these are free. But, uh, yeah, this one is a, a little odd one if you haven't paid attention much to Trampus's Parker Trampus Parker's career because uh, maybe you don't really know you know he won some world championships you know he's an American and that's about the extent that you know he never really did much in the USA had a decent amateur career but uh, this podcast uh, I've been told over and over by many of you listeners out there that uh, how much you love it how much you can't believe it Parker's himself is, is quite a character he's got the uh, southern drawl on and the stories he tells about really going over there as a mechanic for Billy Lyles and then starting to ride GPs and, and starting to you know do really well he sort of failed his first time uh 500 gps even though he led a moto for a little bit i think he says in here and then eventually he got his break on a on a really fast ktm won the world championship and he was off he won the 250 world championship he almost won a moto at this nations as he will tell you in here and a lot of really really funny cool stories from Trampus parker uh in our podcast that we did uh a while ago i think it was uh, 2012 August 7th, 2012, we did this. Uh, he was not an easy guy to get a hold of. I got his number through Davey Coombs. He didn't uh, get back to me much, uh, didn't want to do it or something. And, and then finally, I tried again, and he said he would do it. And uh, again, it's it's an underrated podcast. You may not know much about Champus Parker, but uh, if you listen to this one, uh, you'll be highly entertained of his stories, living in Europe, dealing with Italian teams, dealing with the GP regulars, dealing with Americans, and everything else, and uh, it's definitely up there for me. It's one of the ones when I hung up, I went, wow. Uh, but uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening to these. Of course, Fly Racing and Racer X Podcast are on these now. I have no idea who's going to be sponsoring the show when you're listening to this, but uh, this might have even been my in my trans world days. No, I think I was back at Racer X then. Anyways, I don't know. I didn't listen, but I remember it well. And uh, so thanks to Fly Racing and Alpine Star Protects as well for uh, listening to this. And uh, please enjoy Trampus Parker Classic Podcast from 2012. A Pulp MX Network production. Thanks for all the support, Pulp MX fans. The Pulp MX app is now available for both iPhone and Android-based phones. For all your moto needs, shop at btosports.com and use the current discount code STEVE, S-T-E-V-E. And don't forget to click the Amazon banner on pulpmx.com when purchasing anything from Amazon. It's the Steve Mathis Show, brought to you by RacerX, presented by btosports.com. The original Moto Podcast featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com Racer X Podcast Show. I'm your host, Steve Mathis. With me on the line is uh, a guy I've wanted to get for a long time, and uh, I just had the wrong phone number, it turns out, but... Uh, one of the more cool and unique stories out there, I feel, and uh, and somebody that uh, for a kid growing up in Canada who only read Cycle News, uh, you know, a month after it came out, this was uh, this was a guy who came right out of nowhere. 
two-time world champion, Trampus Parker. Trampus, uh, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, thank thank y'all. Well, actually, I grew up in uh, Texas. Oh, you did? Okay. Well, no, I grew up in Canada, I said. I grew up in Canada. Oh, okay. And, and I'm sorry. And when I and when I grew up in Canada, you know, we didn't get a lot of the coverage. And I, when I saw the cycle news with you winning the first 125 GP, obviously I'd never heard of you before. And it was, you were on the cover, I believe, even. And uh, it was quite a shock. I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it was a shock for uh, for everybody because no no one knew Trampus. Um, I'd actually grown up racing as Chad over here in the United in the United States, and um, when I went overseas, we uh, we went over the first time, me and uh, Billy Lyles and a, and a couple of other guys, because after Magoo Chandler got paralyzed, they did a uh, Danny Magoo Chandler yeah. benefit race over there, mm-hmm. and I was fortunate enough to be uh, one of the guys that got to go over. And do this race, and the uh, Boers and Joe Bay and and all the top Europeans were there, and I think uh, I led every every moto that that day, but um, unfortunately I was just using a backup bike that Joe Bay didn't want to ride, mm-hmm. and um, it never ended the races. But I proved that I I could ride. Right. So, uh, that's that's how how it come about that I got a shot to go go overseas. Um, yeah, and uh, we'll get to that. What um, we just finished Loretta Lynn's, and uh, and you raced, uh, but you had some problems. You got hurt, or or a bike problem, or something. From what I hear, how'd it go? No, the bike the bike didn't give no problems at all. Actually, uh, the KTM three hundred and fifty was was working great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't complain about the bike at all. Um, I've been putting off uh, hip surgery now for for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to get a that Birmingham hip cap, and uh, I just been putting it off because I didn't want the six months of downtime. Right. Well, last year I ended up having to redo both knees from a wakeboarding incident, and uh, I tried to convince them to do my hip at the same time, but they wouldn't do both <laughs> knees and the hip at the same time. So uh, I ended up sitting out six months anyway. Last year, yeah, uh, we got the schedule. We had the surgery done in in October, and then um, I said I wanted to ride Loretta's this year. It, uh, it was the first time I showed up at Loretta's in, in shape and everything and, and had actually trained going there. And the goal was to go there and win the 45 class. I was real excited when we seen that Dubach was coming. And uh, unfortunately, with the hip, it uh, it only has about 20% of movement. Mm-hmm. And when I land hard, it uh, sometimes it forces the back to bend in, in ways that it shouldn't. And it, it tightens all the muscles up. And Jeez. The the back is what actually goes out, but it's uh, it's caused from the hip. Mm-hmm. So that was it for your Loretta's. Your back went out, and that was it. Yeah, yeah. that was it. Uh, there's you know there's certain pains that that you can't ride around, and mm-hmm. that was definitely one of them. I couldn't. Uh, there wasn't no way to ride, and uh, just riding around out there in, in last place and right. and stuff wasn't wasn't what I was interested in. Uh, I wanted to go there and and win it, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the kids that I work with, uh, they were real excited that I agreed to go back and uh, ride it this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, the goal was to go there and win it and uh, tell them that the hard work does pay off. But uh, unfortunately, it went the way it did, and I'm, uh, there's nothing I can do about it. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's cool to see you back. You've been racing there for a few years now, and, and your motocross schools that you do, um, going well for you, it seems? 
Yeah, the motocross schools are going uh, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're having a great time. We're uh, we're working with uh, with ranges from sixty five up, uh, even to some some of the older gentlemen. We've uh, we've had a couple of gentlemen that was in there. Uh, well, actually, we've we've even trained a guy that was up to seventy three years old, and that that was pretty unique because. Yeah, uh, yeah. That gives me a lot of hope for the future because <laughs> I figure if that guy can still ride like that, then uh, I got several more years in the sport, especially after I get a new hip. Yeah, yeah, really, no doubt. And uh, for people who want to know, it's Travis Parker uh, MXS dot com. Um, go yeah. check it out, and uh, and you can make private lessons, group lessons, uh, whatever you want um, on there. And I, I didn't realize you enjoy the what got you into the teaching of the schools. Like, is it something that you just always enjoyed doing? Did you find out that you had a certain knack for being able to help people ride a motorcycle better? Like, uh, talk about this new phase a little bit. Well, I've, I've been doing it for uh, years. Back in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, when I got hurt, I I took a kid who had um, oh who had never scored more than twelve points in a single season and. Uh, Worked with him for a few months and got him up on the podium, and uh, that was something that was really neat. And okay. and I realized, you know, this the sport of motorcycles is what I love to do. Um, I still enjoy working with kids. Mm-hmm. It's it's always fun to take a kid who's not um, not a rider who's won titles and be able to work with him mm-hmm. and start winning titles. And you know, it's it's great especially watching these kids advance, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And, and the cool thing is, is you know, I, I can still get out there and ride with them and, right. and show them what they're doing wrong, and, and uh, it's, it's a blast. Right. I enjoy it. Do um, you feel like you would have had something for the doctor? Uh, had you been, uh, like you said, you were in shape, you were riding, uh, and you were prepared this year? Uh, was it, was it, did it cause a little tear to roll down your cheek to see the doctor claim another title? Well, you, you know, you can't say nothing negative about Doug. He's won yeah. several titles, and uh, um, he's not winning them with luck. He's well, he's right, winning them right. because he's going there and he's riding fast. Right. And, uh, he, uh, you know, a guy that's forty nine years old. He won the forty class this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really, really surprised to see that he didn't get the uh, the vet award, but uh, I'm also happy that it, that it went to another great rider, Robbie Raynard, here out of Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you you think um, you think that oh, you know, forty nine to forty, it's only a nine year gap. But once you start getting into your forties, five years starts becoming a big gap. <laughs> right, right. But um, yeah, I was a little disappointed that I that I didn't get to ride with him. Do I do I think I could have beat him? Uh, yes. Yeah. Did I? No. So we'll <laughs> never know. So that's the way it is. Um, yeah. Uh, how much do you race locally? Do you or do you do you do you line up at all? Um, Around your your area? Oh, let's let's say in the past uh, two years, with uh, with uh, the knees being redone and yeah. and uh, uh, wakeboard tournaments and stuff, I've probably this would have probably been about my sixth motocross race in two years. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, I think the only races I did were the qualifiers for Loretta's. When did the you last year? Right. When did you move back to uh, the USA? In December of, of uh, 2006. Oh, okay. So you were racing Supermoto like in the early 2000s, right? Over there? Yeah, we did some Supermoto racing, yeah. and uh, basically it was on, uh, 
It was on the first fuel injected uh, Honda, and uh, it was run by the DeVario team. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were doing a lot of testing and stuff, and um, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Why? Well, I, uh, I think I read an interview with you, and I, maybe I could be wrong, but way back in the day, I read an interview with you that said uh, you love the the Italian life, you love the European lifestyle, and, and you didn't see yourself ever moving back. Uh, which I thought, as a you know, as a guy who had never been to Europe at that point, I've been numerous times now. I was like, wow, that's really weird. So, was there a point where you were going to stay over there? And why did you decide to come back? No, I'd always wanted to come back. I, I really wanted to come back early in my career to mm-hmm. uh, to race over here, and that's why I'd show up and do you know a couple of Supercross races every once in a while. Yep. Even an outdoor national every once in a while. But um, you know, I had a family over there, and uh, I had young children and stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't an easy thing to up and move. Right. Um, but I did have some great, great people around me. You know, one of my best friends ever, Bader Manet, mm-hmm. uh, he was uh, one of the guys that, you know, when times were hard, he could uh, he could make you forget get the stress of life over there. Yep. Uh, I had a great following from, uh, from our military guys, the Air Force guys, the Army guys. Uh, they would follow me to a lot of the GPs and stuff, and uh, it was always great having those guys around, so... When things got where I couldn't take the European life, I, I would always end up on a American military base somewhere. I spent a lot of time at the, the Air Force Base in Kaiserslautern and the Army Base over in Vicenza, uh, which wasn't too far from my house. Yeah. And just being able to get around the Americans and on base, it, it, it made you feel like you was back in America a little bit. Right, right. Uh, um, could, so, uh, can anybody just go into those bases if you're American? No, you you can't. You have to be invited on okay, by, right. yeah, by yeah. one of the military people, and uh, I, that's that's what I do. And and a lot of times we would uh, we would go spend some of the vacation, uh, some of the holidays on base, because uh, you know a lot of our holidays weren't uh, celebrated over there. So right. um, it was fun to get on the base, and uh, oh, you know, you just do American things. Uh, we would be out playing wiffle ball with the kids, or mm-hmm. or stuff like that, and. Uh, you know, it was something that uh, that I never got to do while I was in Italy. Right, right. Uh, I, w- I wasn't a big fan of soccer because <laughs> probably because I stunk at it. But uh, right. <laughs> um, that was pretty much the sport over there. Um, did you always live in Italy? Yeah, I stayed. Always, uh, yeah. I stayed my whole career in Italy. That's where I based myself out of, and uh, it was just uh, easy there. I had great, great practice tracks, private places to ride and mm-hmm. stuff, and. Uh, Oh, it, it was good. Um, you know, at the time, one of the guys that you raced, uh, Alessandro Puzar, uh, won a couple of world titles and one of your rivals. And um, other than that, though, there wasn't too many, uh, obviously, Rinaldi. Um, there wasn't too many fast Italians. And now, of course, Caroli is uh, is the best ever uh, right now. Well, not the best ever, but the best GP rider right now. And from way south on Italy, in, in Sicily almost. And uh, pretty surprising when you talk to the to the Grand Prix guys now when I go over there because, you know, the Italians generally were only good on hard tracks, and uh, Caroli's best is deep sand. So just well, uh, a little surprising. I, I, think what, I think what most people don't realize about Caroli, he was coming on when I was toward the end of my career. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was still a kid then, and he come up from the south from a real poor family. And um, they would show up with, with crates of oranges, 
and that's what the kid would live off of because they really didn't have the money to buy food and, and uh uh-huh. they would uh they would struggle and he, he would ride when he when he would have bikes to ride and stuff and uh but you could always tell the kid was hungry. Yeah. He was a uh, he oh, yeah. was one of these kids that wanted it. And um that's the reason for his success today. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, he was hungry, he was always just eating oranges, Jampus. <laughs> well, yeah, he was definitely hungry, but uh, you know, he was a kid that had a great attitude, mm-hmm. and uh, his his work ethic really paid off. And you know, he got hooked up with uh, De Carly. Yep. And um, Claudio had a big place down in Rome, um, big private track and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's a, you know, that's one of the few teams in Italy that uh, that I feel like is a uh, is a true team, other than the Rinaldi team. Right. Uh, you know, Rinaldi's always had the factory backing and everything. Mm-hmm. But De Carli's one of these guys who started it on his own, and uh, he he worked hard for what he did, and uh, he built one heck of a team. And yeah, he's brought up some good riders. How much do you keep in touch with uh, the guys over there? Still friends you've made, teams you made, uh, riders, mechanics, that type of deal. You still uh, keep in touch? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't talk much to hardly anybody over there. When I came back, I, <laughs> right. I came back. I, w- I was ready to come back. Yeah. Um. The um. Um. Where did you Where did you live mostly in in Italy? What What area? What 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 near what cities? Oh, I had a uh, I had a house near uh, Vicenza. Okay. Which is just a little ways, about forty five minutes from Venice, and about an hour. Okay. Hour and ten minutes from uh, Milan. You know, depending yep. on how fast you drive, and my yep. car would run about 180 miles an hour. So <laughs> right, right, um, it wasn't nothing to click them up. Yeah, beautiful countryside uh, around there too. Um, I've been there a few times. Um, let's uh, let's get in the time machine and go back. Let's go way back. Uh, um, and this is all the stuff that we found out about you after. Of course, you've captured those world titles. But uh, so you, you know, one thing I was surprised, you, uh, you made the podium in a 125 Supercross in like 85, which is, yeah, that was the yeah. first Supercross I'd ever rode. First time I'd been on a Supercross track in my life. Uh-huh. Uh, I ended up getting a ride with uh, Dave Miller Concepts, which was kind of like the uh, pro circuit team of today. Yeah. And um, I showed up out there. We, we, uh, back then, the lights guys, it wasn't like today where you did a whole bunch of testing and everything. Right. I had my cowies at the house, and, oh, I, I got the practice here and stuff. And uh, I actually got hooked up with uh, a guy who works for Kawasaki till this day. I got, got hooked up with Dennis Hawthorne oh, yeah. um, a little bit before then. Mm-hmm. And um, Dennis was, was a few years older than, than I am, but he was the guy that was winning in Texas. Mm-hmm. And my dad, my dad told me he said Dennis doesn't beat y'all with speed; he beats y'all with endurance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got hooked up with Dennis a little bit before the Supercross season, and went and stayed with him some. And he took me out to some of these backwoods tracks, yeah, and uh, taught me what what training was. And and I realized then that uh, you know, a guy that put in a lot of hard work could beat somebody that was talented who wasn't putting in the same amount of work. Mm-hmm. And over the years, that's been proven because uh, there's been, you know, there's only a handful of guys that were so natural that it was unbelievable. Right. But if you go back in time and look at it, the guys that put in the hard work, people like Jeff Stanton that put in a lot of hard work, overcame a lot of naturally talented riders. Um, You know, there's been tons of guys over the years that's put in the hard work. Back in the day, you know, Ward and, 
and O'Mare, they just they worked themselves like unbelievable. Yeah, and, uh, it paid off. But uh, we had people like Ronnie and and uh, Machine, and I and I like Ronnie a lot. But uh, mm-hmm. it was a it was a waste of talent. And then <laughs> today we we had guys like Jason Lawrence. Right. Who knows what the guy could have done if he had had his head on straight. Right. Right. And and so early on, Hawthorne, uh, who was a king of the arena crosses and also a very great uh, national rider for years, Hawthorne really showed you. This is what you got to do, kid. This is this is how you work. That's exactly uh, what happened, and uh, you know, thanks to Dennis, and then, and then I had a, a lot of people. I had a guy named Charlie McCarthy that uh, that we were at the races one day, and you know, we didn't have the funds to race. Uh, my my mom and dad was doing everything they could to keep me on a motorcycle, mm-hmm. and uh, the motorcycles were were what they were. We always had one bike a year. And, uh, you know, my, my mom and dad put in, oh, unbelievable hours right. uh, to allow me to race motorcycles. And this guy come up out of nowhere one day at the track and, and started talking to my mom and dad and me and, and telling us how he was going to do this and he was going to do that. And my dad looked at uh, looked over at me and he said, son, no, nobody in life give you anything for nothing. He said, don't get your hopes up. This guy's just blowing smoke. Right. And uh, the next week, uh, the guy called my mom and dad at the house, and uh, he was uh, he was he was a savior, and his name was Charlie McCarthy. And uh, mm-hmm. without Charlie, uh, I don't know if I would have made it to where I was at today because he's the one that uh, that ended up getting us some motorcycles, allowing us to uh, to get to the point where I was able to go win Loretta's. Right. Uh, where I was able to go on to the nationals, and he spent a great amount of money out of his own pocket and uh, and helped us out. Right. Because uh, with all the sacrifices that my mom and dad was doing, uh, I still don't know if it would have been enough. It's um, and also too back in your day, it wasn't easy for guys outside of California to to get rides and to to make dents in the sport. It wasn't as easy as it is now. No, they uh, they definitely didn't. Uh, they didn't help hardly anybody out of, out of California. Uh, finally, Team Green started the you know the amateur program right, right. here in the South, and it, it was run by a guy who did a great job, Greg Cador. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, Greg was there uh, this week helping the Coons out at uh, at Loretta's, and it, it was awesome to see him again. And um, he's the one who actually ran the Team Green program that guys like me and Hawthorne and Jason Langford, Dennis mm-hmm. Daft. Um, all the guys that was on the Team Green program rode through. Mm-hmm. So you would have been like Eddie Warren, Bader, Manet, yourself. Those would have been the guys back then, huh? The the Team Green people? Yes. Yeah. Except for Bader and, and those guys were on the West Coast. Right. So uh, it just made it a little bit easier for them. But Bader was one awesome rider. Um, you, do, do you remember uh, Bader rode Supercross? Two, three years, maybe longer now. Three, four years ago, Bader came out. Yeah, the only reason uh, the only reason Bader ended up in in Italy was he had that bad femur mm-hmm. injury, and um, uh, unfortunately, I guess they lost faith. And you know that was the year he was supposedly going to get the full factory ride. And after the femur break, uh, mm-hmm. the factories took a decision to go with somebody who was healthy, and uh, Bader ended up in Europe, which uh, right. I hate that for him, but uh, it it was also a great thing for me because uh, we became the best of friends, and uh, 
he's one of the few guys that I that I feel like uh, always told it the way it was, right. and um, I consider him one of the best friends I ever had. Hey, and he had the cool alligator on top of his helmet. That was awesome. Yes, he did. <laughs> he, he had that when he showed up at uh, at Europe. Um, so how does uh, Chad Trampas Parker go from uh, getting on the podium um, in, a, in his first ever Supercross race to uh, basically out of American racing and living in Europe? Uh, how, and, you know, you did that Magoo race that you said, the charity race, but what happens in between there? Well, uh, going back to training with Dennis, we, uh, we left Texas, me, Dennis, uh, Hawthorne, and... Um, Jason Langford, we left mm-hmm. in a box van, headed out to California. Jason was still just an 85, 80 rider back then. It wasn't even 85s. It was 80 cc's. Right. And uh, we headed to California, uh, got there two weeks before Supercross, got the ride with, with some uh, some guys, but uh, not on Supercross tracks. We was riding out in the desert and stuff and just having a, having a good time. And uh, I, I was always really strong on confidence, I always believed I could win no matter what, mm-hmm. uh, no matter who I lined up against. I just my confidence was always one of my strong points. That uh, you know, I'd, I'd I'd pull up and everybody'd be saying, "Oh, there's so and so over there, man. We can't win today." And I was always looking at it like, "Wow, that's uh, that's Johnny O'Mare over there. That's right. Jeff Ward. Today's my lucky day to get the chance to beat the greats." Right. And uh, I always looked at it like that. I never I never thought of it as, "Man, I can't win today because." There's some great riders here. It was always, hey, I got a chance to beat the greats, and I'm going to give it everything I have. <clears throat> and uh, so we ended up out there, and you know, at the, at the first Supercross, I ended up third, but I come from a really bad start. Mm-hmm. Well, I told Dennis, and uh, who was riding the um, the 250 class at the time, and I told Dennis that night, I said, man, I said I was the fastest guy on the track. I said uh, next week. Next weekend, I'll, I'll win for sure. And uh, I told him, I said, I'm going to win this title. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, the next weekend, uh, practice came around. Everything went great. We turned, went into the first heat race. And uh, going into the first turn, um, the two guys in front of me got together. And to keep from running into them, I had to turn tighter. And I put my foot down. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, uh the guy who was right behind me hit me in the leg while it was down, and it uh, it shattered the ankle and, and messed the ankle up real bad. Mm-hmm. And um, I was hauled off to the hospital and surgery and, and screws and everything to put the ankle back together and told that, uh, you know, that I'd never race again. And, <laughs> oh, that was the, probably the longest I'd ever spent in a cast. And, uh, right. Um, that pretty much made made the mind change that uh with the hardware that was in my ankle um even the medics after I got back healed where I could do stuff said if I ever broke it again it would probably shatter into to fragments because of the hardware in there right right and uh we we made a choice to um ride outdoors only and the best place to do that was overseas right and I always thought it would be cool to be world champion. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was still an era where, you know, we'd had Lackey and Laporte, but um, it was still kind of, um, you know, a, a super cool. Well, still is was still is a, a big deal, but Americans chase after it a little more and, and wanted to win a world title. You, um, you did some 500s in 86, 
that was before you went back over, before you went over for good? Well, no, I didn't do any, any GPs. I just went over at no, the, the end and did the, my uh, due benefit race. Yeah, five, then, uh, 500 National, then, AMA Nationals in 86. Um, yes. You did a few of those, and then uh, and then you headed over? Is that? Yes, we went over at the end of the year and uh, stayed over. I think it was about a month we, we spent over there. Mm-hmm. And then um, that's how I ended up getting the offer to um, to go back overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, and how did you ever get hooked up? Like, how does a kid from Louisiana ever get even an invite to the Magoo race or, or an invite to go to Europe? How does that even work? Who who, well, who helps you out? That's one of the times I do have to uh, have to thank uh, Billy Lyles. Oh, okay, yeah, he was over there, right? Yeah, and uh, that's um, Billy uh, was one of the guys who uh, who I I got hooked up with Billy at the at the last few uh, five hundred. Outdoor Nationals, and mm-hmm. he had done sign the ride to go over there and ride for Kawasaki and stuff, and uh, that's uh, one of the reasons that I went over there. And then uh, I had an offer after the Magoo race. I had an offer to go back, and um, so uh, we decided to not do anything here in the U.S. I went back overseas, and uh, unfortunately, uh, the ride that I that I had didn't fall through, so I ended up doing a little bit of mechanicing before I started my racing career. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I, I read, and uh, how cool is that? Um, a guy who's still racing um, all of a sudden says, "Hey, I got to pay some bills. I got to make some money." So he start turning the wrenches. It's nice to see you. You got multiple talents, Trampas. Yeah, well, when I, you know when I went over there, uh, my mom, my mom and dad, and especially my dad, he said he said he, you got a plane ticket. And uh, you got five hundred dollars, and uh, <laughs> that's all you got. And he said, "You better make it. Yeah. If if, you're, if you don't, you'll come back and work in the oil field." And uh, that was something I'd been doing earlier. Right, was uh, working in the oil field uh, to make money to, to race. And you were like oil field or motocross, oil field or motocross. <laughs> so uh, I definitely was determined to make it, and mm-hmm. you know I didn't want to tell them that the ride fell through that uh i was mechanicing but uh right i got the mechanic for uh for phil larson um oh, a yeah. lot of the younger people don't know phil um uh, but uh phil and mike phil, larson from the pacific northwest who uh, yes yeah phil had spent some years over there he had actually uh been a, a heck of a gp rider mm-hmm. uh did some great racing on makos and then ended up getting the kawasaki ride so uh I got to do a little bit of mechanicing for Phil Larson. Wow. And and I believe Phil Larson was the first guy to jump Suicide Mountain and Saddleback. This big uphill triple uh, thing they had. Uh, that I, I can't tell you, but I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> right, uh, right. He wasn't scared to do anything on a motorcycle. I know that. Uh, hey, you know what's funny is um, you and I have something in common because uh, Billy Lyles helped get you over to Europe um uh, to race over there and uh billy lyles helped get me over to europe to be a mechanic i uh i was mechanicing here in the u.s for privateers and for different smaller teams in the late 90s and i always wanted to go to europe i thought that would be so cool and billy i met billy at loretta's when i was working honda support and billy got me a job in germany with this ktm team uh knipe racing i don't know if you remember them or if they were i remember so billy got me I bet you never got all your money, did you? 
<laughs> well, Trampus, uh, yeah, you, I think you nailed that one. Um, I left early. I didn't get paid what I was supposed to get paid. Um, I hated it. The riders weren't very good, and Thomas was very hard to work for. And I and I got a job working for Tim Ferry um, in the when I was over there, and I left as you know on the next flight out. But for three months, I lived in Germany, thanks to Billy Lyles. And I was cursing Billy at times because of that job. Yeah, I, I know that team, but uh, don't worry. That, that's not the only team that was like that. There was plenty. Yeah, no doubt. Um, anyways, um, I remember the Thomas kept all the parts in a, in a room locked, and if you wanted a pair of brake pads, you had to go and explain your case to him. Anyways, uh, good times. So Billy Lyles affected both of our lives at one point. Yes, he did. Um, so you're working at, for Phil uh, as a mechanic. Are you doing going to the GPs at this point? Are you still riding and practicing at all, or are you? Are you? No, this was actually uh, before the season started at the uh, at the pre racing. Uh huh. And, and um, I was mechanic for him uh, during some of the uh, international races before the GP started. Uh, I hadn't been riding. Mm-hmm. And then um, M Robert, which was a big clothing company back then, which. Uh, all the, the top world champions were riding for. Right. Uh, a week before the first GP, uh, buys a uh, Kawasaki 500 and sends uh, sends me and a mechanic to the first GP. Oh. And I ha- I hadn't been on a motorcycle in a few months. <laughs> You're back. So uh, <laughs> I show up at the first GP. Right. And um, the speed was was really good. Uh, and I went out and qualified. I think I qualified Saturday, like in third place. Okay. And everybody was just like, "Oh my gosh, who is this guy?" Right. And then, uh, and then Sunday, um, the first moto, I, I was running really good and uh, scored points. And then the second moto, the the bike overheated, but uh, I was up there with the fronts. But uh, the good thing was, even the factory Kawasaki overheated that day, and. Uh, so uh, I didn't feel too bad about it. So what year would this have been? What year? That was in 1987. Oh, so 87. So Joe Bay. Joe Bay on a Cowie? Yeah, Joe Bay was on Cowie. Yeah. Um, so Kurt you... Nicole was on Cowie. So this was, Thorpe, yeah. Those guys were on the factory Honda team. And Hacking uh, Kalk, Kalkus was on the uh, Yamaha. Yeah, so Yamaha. these are the... the, the these are the greats of Europe at the time. Everybody's in the 500 class at this point. Um, yeah. Most of the guys, anyways, and um, and so you qualified third. Pretty pretty impressive. On probably on a production ish bike. Yeah, box stock right. bike. <laughs> right, right. Um, so and help me out with the with the chronological order here. Was this after the Magoo race? The Magoo yes, race. Yeah, after the Magoo race. So the Magoo race was at the end of eighty eighty six. Ah, got it. Okay. You know, we just went over over to Europe for a month and then came back and then I I'd received an offer. So that's go where back you, over and yeah. ride for the team that that Billy and Phil was riding for, but uh, that, that after didn't work I got out over there. Unfortunately, right. it fell through. So were you so eighty seven? Um, you scored some points in one moto and then overheated in the second moto, and then did you did you do the rest of the series or how did that go? No, I did a, uh, I did um, the race in France mm-hmm. and. Um, I was uh, really fast there, but uh, it rained, and I was going through a water section and hit a big rock and uh, knocked myself up, knocked myself out. Yep. And uh, I woke up right before the uh, the second moto, and <laughs> back then you didn't know nothing about concussions or anything, right. so I, I right. tried to ride the second moto, but uh, that didn't didn't work out really really well. 
And then um, I went and rode the uh, one of the races in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it was actually uh, in Austria at, at um, oh, I think it was Sittendorf. Yep. And um, I was the first moto I was I was racing with against Colquist, mm-hmm. and uh, I was right behind him, and um, it started it started raining during the moto, mm-hmm. and and we topped the hill and and. You sort of come up a big hill, made a right-hander, and dropped down this big downhill. And he made a mistake, and when he did, I crashed, but my bike stayed up on top, and I slid all the way to the bottom of this big big downhill. Right. And by the time I got back up there and got my bike cranked and got taken back off, Corquist was was probably 100 yards behind me. Mm-hmm. Well, I stayed in front of him all the way to the last lap. And after the race, Hacken, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Hacken was always known as the mean guy, the he tough was. guy. With yeah. yeah. And uh, he, he started, uh, you know, started cussing me and everything. And, <laughs> oh, just a typical Hacken, he, you know, that's the way he was. Yeah. He wasn't a mean guy, but that's just, just the way he was. Right. And, um, and I just told him, you know, the heck with you. I, I was right on your butt. If, if you would have been going faster, I wouldn't have crashed. Yeah, because I hit you, right. And, um Back then, they they didn't. Uh, one thing they didn't like Americans, and the second thing they didn't like young riders because most of the guys never even got a ride to their mid twenties. Right. So it wasn't like nowadays where you're just taking the young young guys right off out mm-hmm. of junior high and stuff, and and you know getting them ready. So um, it upset him, but uh, we didn't we didn't have the funds. And uh, M. Robert couldn't couldn't fund me the whole year. Right. So uh, after that, um, he he told me, "Why don't you take the five hundred and change it in for a two fifty and just do races in in Italy? Just local, and, yeah, uh, the local championships. The, the, yeah, local yeah. championships and internationals and stuff. And right. I I think we ended up winning the probably probably seventy five percent of the races that we entered. Oh and, wow! Uh, yeah. That that was a a huge thing because everybody seen then that I, that I could definitely ride a motorcycle. It was just uh, getting the opportunity. Was it? And uh, opportunities, you know, when they don't come around often, but when they do come around, you you definitely need to make the best of them. Right, right. And uh, is this um, like were there some big GP names competing in the local uh, Italian championships like what we have now where the GP riders race in their in their in their country where their teams are a lot of times like were you lining up oh, against yeah, all, GP guys well back then all the top uh, GP riders would ride the Italian championships oh, okay. it wasn't nothing yeah. to have uh, and even some of the top other European riders so it wasn't nothing to have anywhere from 5 to 8 of the top 10 riders right from the 125 World Championship, you know, several from the 250 World Championship, right. and a couple out of the 500. So, and, you, so and you were beating them, yeah. Back then, riding, riding these internationals and riding these uh, Italian championships, mm-hmm. it was almost like riding the World Championships. You right. had really stiff competition. And good money, from what I understand. Those races paid good start money and all that if you were a guy that could uh, could, could go fast, huh? Yes, they paid great start money. Right, right. So, so you were now on your way making a living racing in the Italian championships. Yeah, I was able to make way more money doing that than I could racing the racing the GPS. Right, and I was able to stay in Italy, and it wasn't costing much money. Mm-hmm. 
to travel. So um, were you on? And, you were on Cowies at this point in '87. Yeah. All Cowies. Yeah, I was on on Cowies, and then at the end of '87 is when uh, when KTM came to me, and uh, they needed a backup rider for the Italian Championship, mm-hmm. and um, I was going to ride the uh, the one one twenty five Italian. Uh, race one of the races for them at the end of the year after the GPs were over. Yep. But uh unfortunately uh they they wouldn't things work a little different over there. The the Federation has to release you mm-hmm. so you're able to ride certain races and uh at one of the big one twenty five races they didn't release me to race it. Okay. Well then KTM uh put some pressure on them so they released me to ride the five hundred race at the end of the year it was a a one-off race mm-hmm. where all the top guys were there including michaeli rinaldi and and those guys and um yep well ktm brings this bike out that i'd never got to ride and uh they didn't they didn't tell me that uh when you had the clutch in if you revved it up the thing would take off <laughs> yeah so uh we're at fanza in Italy, and, uh, you know, it's a front drop gate back mm-hmm. then. It's not a back drop gate like nowadays. Right. And uh, they throw throw the five-second board up, or they turn the one card sideways. And when they did, I, I counted the, the three seconds. And then I, I floored that thing getting ready for them to drop the gate. And when I did, that thing took off, hit the gate, does a complete backflip up in the air. <laughs> and uh, I think my bike was still up in the air, and I was on my hands and knees. When the gate dropped, yeah, <laughs> nice. So uh, here's your new I'm, rider. I'm to, here's your new rider, KTM. He can't even start. Yeah, I'm trying <laughs> to find a hole to crawl in. Right, and um, I can't find one nowhere. So I go out there, pick the bike up, and chase chase these guys down, and end up being the fastest guy on the track, and and coming through the pack and mm-hmm. and up to a really good finish. And the guys at KTM were like, man. uh, I can't believe it. And I said, well, the bike just took off, and they're telling me, well, we, we forgot to tell you that uh, you can't rev that bike up in gear with a clutch in because it'll take off. And I said, well, that's something, you know, that was kind of important to know. Yeah. So uh, after that, in the next two starts, I was really, really scared of this thing on the start. So I would Obviously, just sacrifice yeah. the start and then try to make everything up. And, uh Oh, we were losing parts left and right, but uh, I put in a good enough ride that uh, that um, they wanted me to ride the GPs the next season on a two hundred and fifty. Right, and I rode um, I rode the first first four GPs in, in two hundred and fifty, and that's when uh, Rodney Smith was over. Yeah. on the factory Suzuki team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was riding Chesterfield, doing pretty well too. Yes, he was. Um, and and then. Uh... So this wasn't this wasn't a KTM factory team, but it was a, a factory supported effort. Is that kind of how it worked? Yes, yeah. it was a it was kind of like a satellite team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was ran out of Italy. the uh, The two factory riders were Heinz Kindergarten and uh, a Swedish rider, which I can't recall his name at, at the moment. And um, was it, was I it got Pierce? on was it got on the uh, the stock KTM mm-hmm. and oh. I ended up um, going to the first GP, and you had two time qualifying sessions. And in the first first session, we ended up breaking the reeds in the bike, so I didn't even get to go out and qualify. And then in the second session, it, it came a downpour. 
So I, there, nobody went out, and uh, I tried to go out and qualify with the track muddy, but there wasn't no way to, to qualify then. Right. So at the first GP in, in 88, I, di- I didn't even qualify. But that day, um, Heinz Kindergartner and the other rider mm-hmm. both ended up getting injured. Right. Well, the next weekend we were in Spain to do the, the GP, and I went over to the KTM mechanic and stuff and told him, I said, if y'all let me ride ride that bike, the factory bike, this weekend, I said, I'll put it on the box for y'all. And the guy looked at me and laughed, and he goes, you couldn't even qualify last weekend. How the heck do you expect right. to put a, a bike on the box? Right. And uh, I said, well, if, if the bike wouldn't have broken the first qualifying session, I said, I would have qualified. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, I, you know, I would have beat beat y'all's riders wow. on a on a stock bike. You weren't and, uh, you weren't you were right. You did have some confidence when you raced. He uh, <laughs> he just blew me off and stuff. And uh, oh, about Wednesday they uh, they come and find me and they said, "Look, we talked to uh, Mister Trunkenpoltz, who owned the company at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, he's agreed to let you ride." And uh, I said, "Well, can I go out and ride the bike before the GPS?" And the guy goes. Yeah, we'll take take you up to a little track, and uh, we went up there, and I got to ride about twenty minutes on the factory bike, and yep. uh, they said that's enough, <laughs> and um, they they really didn't think I was going to do anything. Right. So um, I finally convinced them that I couldn't ride with kindergartner's seat on the bike, that uh, yeah, I barely a... could reach the foot pegs, much less the ground. Yeah, he's a big guy, kindergartner. Yes, yep. he is, and uh, his seat was probably about twelve inches tall, and. Uh, it, 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 there wasn't no way I could reach the ground. Right. So um, they okay. finally let me shave the seat down, and that was about the only thing that I got to do to the bike. Mm-hmm. And um, Saturday I, I went out and, and qualified really, really good, and and the guys are like, oh, wow, yeah. uh, we, we didn't know you could do this. And then um, I said, well, if y'all let me make a few changes to the bike, I said, I think we can better it a lot. Yeah. So finally they let me, you know, change up the suspension a little bit and set the bike up the way I wanted to ride it instead of the way Kenny rode it. Mm-hmm. And um, the the first moto, the gate drops, I pass everybody getting the lead, and I'm gone. Wow. We we, we had the race won with, without a doubt. Yeah. And uh, just steadily pulling away a couple of seconds a lap, and, and I'm just out there having a blast. Right. When the whole bottom linkage breaks off the bike. <laughs> Jeez, nice. Well, yeah, I'm I'm sitting over there on the side of the track with the linkage, so I get off the bike and I, I lift, you know, lift up the back end and I start pushing it toward the pits and and I was still just as happy as could be. You know, yeah. I knew I'd done my job; it wasn't my fault, and this uh, this I knew that I was winning the race and wasn't nobody going to beat me. This was uh, Rodney Smith, Vandenberg, um, probably Conan. Yeah, Vekanen. Yeah, all those guys. Um, yeah. Um, so um, yeah, pretty impressive. We get we get the bike back to the uh, to the pits and KTM's like, you would have won. <laughs> I said, yeah, I, said, yeah, I, I would have won. I said, I told y'all I'd, I'd put it on the box if y'all let me ride it. Right. Now the guy goes, you're not mad. I said, I did my job. Yeah. I said, there's no sense in getting mad. You know, it's a machine. Things can happen. Yeah, it's over. So, uh, they get it back ready for the second moto, and they're super stoked. And uh, they work so much on the swing arm and getting the linkage and everything, the all new put back on, that they really forgot to go over the rest of the bike. And uh, 
<laughs> oh, a, a few laps into the moto, the whole subframe starts coming off. Yeah. And, uh, I pull into the I pull into the pits, and the guy's like, "Go, go, go! Don't stop! Just go!" I said, "The whole subframe's coming off." He goes, "Just go! You're you're still way up front." So I, I'm riding around, just standing up, and pretty much lose the whole subframe. And uh, there wasn't no way to finish then, so I, I pulled in, and these guys they just couldn't believe it. So uh, yeah. then they want me to ride the next weekend. So so we show up in in Italy and. Uh, I get a good start there, and I, I'm running Baconin and, and um, uh, Vandenberg down to win the race in Italy, mm-hmm. and the frame right there at the triple clamps starts opening up, and it's like <laughs> a chopper. Yeah, yeah. So so I have to pull off the track that race, and back then you only had one motorcycle, so these guys are running the front wheel into a tree, and they're welding it up over oh, there come on. for the second moto. <laughs> and, uh I get behind the bike and I'm looking at it, and one wheel—you could see one wheel going one way, the <laughs> rear wheel going the other way—and they're like, right. "We got it ready." And I said, "I said, come here." I said, "Look at this." I said, "There's no way you can ride this." And uh, they were like, "Oh, well, look at it like this. When you get to the rutty sections, you can hit two ruts and never even know it." No, <laughs> those funny Austrians. <laughs> yeah, so uh, they uh, they sent me back out in the second moto, but uh, I just rode a few laps and, and come off the track and. Oh. After that, I told him. I said, you know, I said, I said, this is this is really no fun. Um, I said the bikes, the bike breaks, and uh, yeah, I said, I said I can win races. I said, but this is no fun for me. So um, I said I really don't want to do the GPS anymore. Um, I wasn't making any money doing it that way. Yeah. So um, I said I'm just going to stay in Italy and ride in Italy and. Uh, if something comes up for next year uh, and we got better equipment, yeah. I'll beat the game. So uh, that's that's what I did. And then at the end of the year, when uh, when Puzar signed from KTM, he got fourth at the World Championship, and he was going to be their their rider to go for the title. Their big guy, yeah. And uh, they found out that he had signed with uh, with Suzuki to go factory Suzuki. They asked me to show up at at uh, the Italian Championship that year and, and ride the 125. So two weeks before this this big Italian Championship race at the end of the year, which uh, there was like eight of the top ten uh, GP riders there, mm-hmm. KTM gives me this stock 125 and and you know tells me go out and practice on it and stuff. And I haven't sat on a 125 and since before I left the state. So it's been two years, over two years that I that I haven't sat on a one twenty five. And then we're talking a stock one twenty five back in uh back in eighty eight. Yeah. And the thing was really slow and I rode it for, for a couple of days and, and I thought, man, I just either I don't know how to ride a one twenty five anymore or, <laughs> or this thing just won't get out of its right. own way. So we show up at the at the race and um they give me a Puzar's practice bike, and they're like, you know, we just need another KTM on the track. If you can go out and get top ten, that'd be great. Uh, we'd be be stoked. So I went out and, and rode rode a few laps of practice. I come in and I tell the the factory mechanic, which was Puzar's mechanic, I said, uh, I'll win the race. <laughs> and the guy looks at me and he goes. You got eight of the top ten GP riders here," he said. "All we need you to do is be in the top ten. He said, "Puzar win the race." Yeah. I said, "No, I'll win the race." I said, 
with this bike, there's no way you could lose. Right, right. And he goes, look, he goes, all that is is a practice bike. I said, well, if, if y'all didn't win the world championship this year and this is a practice bike, you got something. y'all didn't have the right riders. <laughs> right. They were, and, uh, they he were goes, fast. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, they really still didn't think I could do it. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the first moto, I go out and pass Puzar and, and, and um, Mahdi and yep. all the guys that finished in the top five, six of the of the world championships. Mm-hmm. And I just blow these guys away. And um, I come in after the first moto, and, and no one's talking. They're just looking at me. <laughs> right. And uh, finally, the mechanic goes, why didn't you tell us you could ride a 125? I said, well, <laughs> after two years, I said, I didn't know I could ride a 125 until I got on this bike. Right, right. And uh, he goes, Wow. I said, oh, don't worry. I said, I'll win the next two motos. So the next moto rolls around, and and I go out and and pass everybody and just leave them again. Right. And come in after the second moto, and the mechanic looks at me, and he goes, "Uh," he goes, would would you ride the the 125 World Championship next year if I can convince them to – yeah. Give us some some parts," he said, "because they've already signed more and Healy as the factory riders." He goes, "But yeah. would you consider it?" I said, "I said we could take this bike right here and win the world championship." Yeah, and uh, <laughs> man, if he you, goes, "If you didn't back goes, if you didn't back this up, I'd be like, this guy is crazy." <laughs> he goes, uh, "He goes, we couldn't take this bike." He right. goes, "Because this bike ain't gonna finish the third motor if you don't slow down." He goes, "This thing is ready to go. It's an old worn out practice bike." Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, "No, I'll go out and win the third motor." He goes, "No, you don't understand." He goes, "I want this title." He said, "I don't want Puzar to win it because he left us and never gave us a heads up, never yeah. gave us a chance to, right. to to keep him." He goes, "I need you to back it down the third motor." He said, "You got a huge points lead." Mm-hmm. He said. He said, you can take second riding around without a problem. I said, uh, I said I really want to win it. But uh, yeah. I said, you know, if I feel like the bike's going to blow, I'll, I'll slow up a little bit. Right. So uh, I, I off the gate, you know, and then I pass Puzar and I get in the lead. And the next thing I know, the mechanic's out in the middle of the track screaming and yelling and telling me to slow down. <laughs> yeah. and, and you could start you could start hearing the engine. And there was about 10 minutes left in the moto, and uh, I had to back it down, and Puzar ended up passing me, and I ended up getting second. Well, after after the race, you know, the mechanic, he's just like, I want you to ride the world championship yeah. next year, but it's not his decision. Right. So so he goes back and tells his boss, he said, I got the guy that can win us the world championship next year. And, and he's like, well, you know, KTM's already signed the, the two factory guys. They got the riders to win it. He said, no, you don't understand. He said, this guy can win it. Yeah. And he said, and he said he can tell you stuff on the bike what needs to be done and stuff. He, he goes, he, he he can feel things. So uh, finally, they decided to let me do it. And uh, oh, we we didn't have the factory parts. We had a bunch of stuff left over from from the year before. And um, my mechanic uh, Bruno Ferrari, which he still works for KTM to this day, and they called him Farrell. Mm-hmm. Uh, is I figure probably one of the top five mechanics in the world, you know. Yeah. He could, he wasn't just a guy that bolted on parts. He could actually do stuff. Right. The, during the off season we we took time and, and tested together and stuff and uh 
we had what was already, I thought, a great motorcycle. We had it just unbelievably mm-hmm. to the way I wanted to ride it. And uh, we everything that we did was really opposite of what the factory guys were doing. And um, we showed up at the first GP that year, and, you know, everybody's doing these interviews and stuff about who's on Strabos and which one of those guys are going to win the world championship. And uh, they... Um, after a few rounds of of racing in in Italy before the GP start, mm-hmm. they um, they came to me and they said, uh, "Well, you know, you, you ought to be able to shoot for a top five, but uh, who do you think will win it out of Puzo and Strabos?" And my my comments were, "I said I don't know which one of those guys is going to get second, but the World Championship's already over with." <laughs> You're like Bob and, uh, Hanna of, of Europe at this point, <laughs> and. Um, you know that was a that was a TV interview, yeah. and everybody thought I was crazy. Right. And then I show up at the first uh, first GP, and uh, um, the first moto I win it by probably twenty yards. Mm-hmm. But uh, on the first lap, I jumped over Puzar on this big downhill jump, mm-hmm. and um, ended up breaking breaking a couple of spokes and bending the disc on the front wheel. Yep. And um, I, I finished the race, but the, I, I was struggling to ride the bike right. because you didn't have, you didn't, you'd have to pump the front brakes up as, as you'd go into the corners. Right, right. Well, after the race, you know, the uh, the journalist, yeah, you know, you won, but Puzor was all over you and everything, and, mm-hmm. and Strabos was right there. Um, it was a lucky win. And, you know, you know, the last thing you want to hear is some, some cocky journalist telling you it was a lucky win when you knew you had problems. Yeah. So I told him, I said, you know, I said, yeah, lucky win. I said, so i tell you what, the next moto I'll just go out and, and leave them so far to make it boring. And that's that's what I did. Yep. It's that time again. Time for a commercial. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast show. Listen to these commercials from btosports.com. Use the code Steve and JT Racing. Thank you, JT Racing, for coming on board. Listen to these commercials, support the sponsors, and yeah, then we'll get back to the show. Thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com podcast show. Please don't forget that BTO is the world leader in aftermarket motocross parts for the bike car body. You'll find deals like a Shoei VFXW helmet for $309.99, 45% off, or Smith Piston goggles for $32.99, 65% off. Your order can be shipped anywhere in the USA for free. Or if you're not in the USA, we ship worldwide. Check it out at BTOsports.com. JT Racing USA is back to reestablish its deep roots in the motocross industry with an all-new, innovative line of racewear and casual wear. While bringing many of JT's strongest design elements from its golden years back to life, the racewear is constructed with the highest-grade material on the market and has a technological fit, feel, and function that is sure to raise the bar in how motocross gear is being built. JT has relaunched itself back into motocross with the Pro Tour jersey, classic pants, lifeline, and flex field gloves in eight colorways with an assortment of men's and women's casual wear to add to its collection. By redefining the meaning of airflow, JT has incorporated its airline system technology into this collection and have launched their all-new ALS2 helmet in seven colorways to complete the rebirth of the brand. The wait is over. 
It's it's surprising. You know, like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm this kid in Canada. I'd never heard of you before, but I, you know, I'm a big fan of the sport, and I see you win the first GP. But if I had been reading the local Italian motocross papers, I had no, you know, you you the preseason races you did well. The year before you led races and the bike broke, so this wasn't to me to me and a lot of the American public. This was out of nowhere, but your speed was evident for a while. I guess. Yeah, because yeah. I'd, I'd I'd won uh, I'd won the uh, oh in in Vegas I showed up out there and and won the uh, the uh, world mini. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd won every major amateur national back then except for Ponca. Right. And I I should have won Ponca. Uh, but unfortunately, I was just a, a young, dumb kid that would end up at the last moto at Ponca leading it. But yeah. uh, I was more interested in playing and having a good time and um, and stuff. So uh, I would end up uh, uh, throwing away the, the final moto at Ponca mm. every year. Yeah. But uh, I should have won it. Right. That was the only amateur title I didn't win. I won everything from the 50s. Back then, we had MR50s, and right. uh, I won everything up from there. Uh, the 85s, we won stuff. Then on the big bikes, you know, we won Loretta's. I went out and won the World Mini. Right. Uh, won everything there was. We went out for Saddleback one year, and um, it was, I think, the week after the National, and there was a double out of the corner that only Ricky Johnson and, and one other guy had attempted. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a little double right out of a corner, a few corners before the Magoo uh, double. Yep. And no one could get it. And we went out there, and I was practicing, and I told my dad, I said, check this double out. I said, I'm going to double it. And um, I started doubling it. Mm-hmm. And I had it down like it was nothing. And uh, they ended up taking it out of the track for <laughs> the uh, for the race. For the race, for the amateur race that weekend because uh, – there wasn't no way some some young kid on a one twenty five was doing this double that no one at the nationals could do the um, the week before. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so the pedigree was there, and, and and the European riders they saw you had the speed. I mean, you know, you you want you led a two fifty GP, and and you won the these Italian preseason races, and it was just a shock to I think a lot of people when you won the first GP, but. Maybe not. Maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. You had the speed, like like we just said. So, number one hundred eight on the KTM. I mean, people in the know could realize that you finally got a good bike underneath you and a, a good team, and this was sort of what you needed to do it. Yeah, and you know, it, it was it was great. I think the only the only people that believed in it was uh, me, the mechanic, mm-hmm. and uh, my dad. Always knew I could do it. Right. Right. And that was probably the only three people that believed in it. And uh, after that race, I remember that uh, that Hans Trunkenpoltz, uh, which was the owner's son, mm-hmm. he come up to me and he goes, man, he goes, you know, he goes, if you win win this world championship, he said, you're going to give my dad a heart attack. <laughs> and, uh, because that was the, the, the one championship that KTM was really wanting. Right. And... Uh, Unfortunately, after I won the world championship, Mr. Tonkin Polts passed away. Jeez. Uh, the bike- he was one of the absolute best uh, best people to work for that you can imagine. So, um, 
you won six GPs, I think, five or six GPs that year. Um, yeah, and and uh, and marched home to the world title. Um, you proved it was no fluke and, and anything like that. Also, too. So, was it was there any Americans in the class then, or was it just uh, Strebos and uh, Puzar? That were no, you had uh, you had Bobby Moore and uh, Mike Healy were who yeah. were the. Uh... The factory KTM riders. Um, and how'd you get along with them? Did you know them well? Did they did they treat you with respect? How'd that go? Uh, yeah, I got along got along with them. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm sure it wasn't easy being a factory rider, getting beat by a guy who wasn't a factory rider. Yeah, and an American at that, but, you know. But so. <laughs> I mean, Bobby, he was a uh, he was always nice. I mean, me and Bobby sometimes we 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 stayed in some of the same rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, Healy was always a little different. He was a. Uh, um, I think Mike was more caught up in showing that he was the tough guy there, and right and stuff. And he was always a great rider, but uh, I, I think he could have done things a lot different. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Even to this day, he probably would say the same thing. Um, did you? Were you making some decent money? Were you doing all right, or did they get you pretty cheap because you were number one hundred eight and you were on a backup bike? Uh, they got me really cheap, but uh, in the end, with all the bonuses, it it, it cost them uh, quite a bit of money. Did you even have a world championship like bonus clause in your contract? Like, was that even in there? Yeah, they just threw it in there as a joke. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they were probably like, ah, yeah, whatever. Um, and uh, they was paying me like, uh, oh, I think back then it was, they ended up giving me like $100 a point for, for all these races I did oh, that year. Okay. And uh, at the end of the year, because uh, that year I uh, I won the world championship, I won some Italian championships, mm-hmm. and some of these big international series was on points, so I was getting paid in points. Right. And at the end of the year, at some of the internationals, uh, the uh, the Italian boss had asked me to back off and let one of the Italian riders win the championship mm-hmm. in Italy. And I told him, I said, I don't I don't back off and let no rider win. If he wants to win, he, he has to outdo me. And that was the first time I'd ever found out that uh, a championship could be sold because uh, they ended up cutting my front spokes at uh, at the final round of wow. one of the Italian championships, so I couldn't win the championship. Really? Jeez. Yeah. So huh. that was the first time I, I, I learned that uh, the guy who wins uh, it isn't always it isn't always, always the winner. Um. Uh, so when do you clinch the title? When do you when do you clinch it? Talk about that race and the feeling that you had crossing the finish line, knowing that you're world champion. Oh, I clinched at the uh, the first moto of the last round. I went in. I think I only needed like two points, mm-hmm. and uh, I ended up getting second the first moto because I wanted to win mm-hmm. uh, the overall. I didn't I didn't want to just go go there and, and ride around. Right. I wanted to win the overall, and uh, I got second the first moto. And the second moto, I ended up passing for the lead. And I ended up crashing my brains out uh, and didn't finish the race. That was the only moto I DNF that year. But uh, there was this super high-speed section, and I was using this huge bump to step up this hill. Mm -hmm. And uh, it ended up flipping me straight over the handlebars. Oh, jeez. But... uh, um, the title had already been wrapped up, so right. And what a feeling that was—the third, third ever American to win a world title. Um, yes, and uh, and coming out of nowhere, or you know, like I said, anyways, in in the eyes of a lot of people. Um, 
you talk about how good that bike was. Uh, was it uh, was it an amazing bike? It was funny that you say that the bike was so good because, you know, I, I talk to Brock Glover every now and then. I go to all the races, so I know Brock well. Brock rode for KTM's in 89 in the 250s, and that bike just broke and was a pile of crap and broke and broke and broke again. Well, I will agree with Brock on that. Yeah. His, his, his bike was a pile of junk. But yours uh, was... Unfortunately, I got got that bike the next year, and uh, we had it working a lot better, mm-hmm. and I feel like I could have won the world championship on it. Mm-hmm. But um, unfortunately... Um, the week before the GP started, I ended up um, uh, shattering my foot because I was leading um, uh, an international race, and it was raining, and it was the, the third moto, mm-hmm. and the rider got stuck on a big uphill, and he came down backwards, and we had a head-on collision, and, and it yeah, ended up breaking my foot in several places. But uh, I still went and rode the uh, the first round mm-hmm. with the foot, just trying to get points. And, and I told KTM, I said, if we can get through four or five rounds and I can get back healthy, but if I keep, you know, save yeah. enough points, right. I said, we'll, we'll still have a shot at winning the title. And then as soon as I got healthy um, and knew knew that, uh, that, that I could be back in the title hunt and was, was starting to win the motos again, mm-hmm. we ended up in Checo and uh, – the first lap Sunday morning, we go out, and the first, everybody goes out and rides the first lap slow, but the local check rider. Mm-hmm. And this guy comes flying down the hill, loses control of his motorcycle. Me and Puzar, which we're, we're going to be battling for the world championship again that year. Right. And uh, the bike ends up taking me out. Uh, breaks my shoulder blade, breaks my shoulder, dislocates my shoulder. <laughs> and... Um, it was just I happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time with some idiot winning the first lap right. of practice. Uh, at the end of 89, did you was there thought of defending your number one? Did you not want to do it? Or, or did KTM want you to go 250s, or were you like, I'm out of here? How did the move yeah, to K- 250s KTM happen? Wanted, KTM wanted me to go 250s. Uh, yeah. I, I would have defended the, the number one plate without a problem yeah. because uh, – the, that 125 that we had was was that good. It right. was a great motorcycle. We had worked on it. We had, we had, had it working, uh, yeah. unbelievable. So I feel like uh, it would. I don't think it would have been a problem to defend the title. But KTM was really wanting to make the push on the 250. Yeah. And I and I told him I said you know my goal is is to go to um, uh, if I go to the 250 and I win it then I'm going straight to the 500 because my goal had always been to win all three world championships and I'd made that clear from the beginning that right. I wanted to win 125, 250 and 500. Right. Uh unfortunately I, I didn't win the 500 world championship. Uh, it wasn't my fault because if you go back and look at the uh at the results and everything uh in 95 I should have been world world champion. Mhm. But uh, unfortunately, I had the only KTM that uh, uh, every time I'd start walking away in the world championship, it, the bike wouldn't uh, finish the races, and uh, yeah, uh, it just uh, it was one of them deals. So, um, and it, I imagine you got a nice race for ninety to go to the two fifties from KTM. Were you yes, got a great yeah. great race, and uh, I couldn't complain a bit. Were you the only thing uh, we struggled? You know, we struggled a little bit getting the bike set up. But when we did get it set up, yeah, the engine was always super strong, and uh, 
and and Brock had went through heck the year before. Yeah, Brock was so, a, was uh, a test mule. Was we the, was the able game. to uh, basically Brock had to do everything exactly the way they wanted it done in Austria, mm-hmm. and I had a little bit more leadway. So we kept we kept our bikes in Italy and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Farrell, my mechanic. He he got to do stuff the way we wanted it done. So we we changed up a lot of stuff. I wasn't completely handcuffed like Brock was because right. when I say he was handcuffed, he had to ride it the way they wanted it. Yeah, and uh, it's tough that way. And I had a lot more leadway, so we was able to make the bike run a lot better. Uh-huh. And, um, but, uh, you know, things went the way they they did. I in- ended up getting injured, you know, the week before the GP started, and then halfway through I had that, that big injury. So uh, right. I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to win the title that year. But um, that's when Honda came up and, and offered me the, uh, the Honda ride for the next year, and uh, I yeah. got the ride um, for HRC on yeah. the factory bike in, in 91. Yeah, that was uh, – um... Just was it a money thing, a equipment thing? Just I mean, was it just because it was HRC Honda you couldn't turn it down? Is that how it worked? It was, uh, there wasn't no way I was going to turn down getting to ride the factory Honda. <laughs> right, you were like, hey KTM, thank you, but this is a factory Honda. <laughs> yeah, and and I knew we, we were um, we had come a long ways on the KTM, mm-hmm. and um, the um, it was just. Uh, it was it was the right time for the change, and also the guy that 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 was running my KTM program had always told me the only reason you should ever leave us is is if you get the factory Honda ride. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. so when I did get it, uh, he was uh, he was really upset, and I'm like, you know, I did the only thing that that I told you that 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 you told me that I should do. I signed with factory Honda, and. Uh, it, it was kind of funny because um, I, had, I still had thirty thousand dollars to collect on my contract, and uh, yeah. I ended up getting I ended up getting three fines for ten thousand dollars over stupid stuff, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I I told the guy you know who back then it was Ferrioli running the deal. I said, you know, I said what you're saying doesn't make sense. You know, one time it was like you didn't wear the race jersey, and I go, I got it on right now. And uh, his his comment was, "I got way more money than you'll ever have in your life, and if you won't sue me, and I'll drag this out so long it'll cost you everything you ever make." And he was right. Yeah. So uh, the last thirty thousand dollars, and and they uh, they ended up not not paying it. But uh, oh, um, it's okay. I had great great years with them back then. Hey, one thing I wanted to touch on was eighty uh, nine. You came back to America to race Bud's Creek. And uh, you went, uh, I think you got sixth or seventh in the first moto, and then you DNF the second moto. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. And uh, what was funny was was I showed up, and, and I really thought KTM was going to have me a, a motorcycle that would be race ready. Yeah. And when I got over here, the bike that I got to ride at Bud's Creek was actually a bike off the showroom floor. <laughs> and it wasn't anything, yeah. anything like I'd been riding. Right. And I can still remember to the day that a guy was going going for the title that year, Cooper. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing was so slow up the uphills. I could make up time on the downhills and through the corners, but the thing was so slow on the uphill. 
you would jump jump down the big hill where, where Henry yep. ended up hurting himself, and then you made a right-hander, and you went up this hill, and there was a little double up into a corner. Right, yep. I and the thing was that. so slow going up the hill. Cooper was behind me, and uh, he ended up coming up, and he jumped, and he and he landed into me. And after the race, guy's like, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. He goes, but I come up so fast. He goes, did your bike seize or something? And I'm like, no. I said, that's as fast as it would go. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty funny because I was still able to run with those guys on a bike that was, oh, probably at about 60% of what, what they had. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, KTM gets you a just, stock bike. Right? I was just so happy to get to ride over here. And, uh, right. That, uh, that's the way it was. But, uh, the second moto, the bike ended up giving out on us, but uh, we had an absolute blast. But going back to 89, you know, one of the best races I ever got to ride was mm-hmm. we got to, I got to race the uh, Trophy Des Nations in 89. Yeah. And that, that's the year that uh, America had their team, and they they didn't need me. Yeah. The, back then, what, Germany. Back then, things yeah. were, back then, things were different. Mm-hmm. So um, Italy asked me to ride for their team. Well, I didn't care who I rode for. I just wanted to race against the absolute fastest riders in the ho- across the whole world right. on the same day on the same track. Yeah, you know because I always felt that I was one of the fastest riders in the world. But you know, you're yeah. riding the world championship. These guys are riding the national. Some guys are riding in Japan. Some guys are riding down under. Right. Well, that's the only weekend that every guy across the world is on one track at one time. Yeah. So uh, KTM, you know, tells me we'll let you ride the 500-500 class. So I thought, you know, that's cool. Yeah. I'll I'll ride it. Puzo rode the 125 and McKaylee Fantone rode the 250. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Woody won the first moto. Yeah. And and I had some bike problems. And the second moto, I had to start from the second row. But they got the bike problems worked out, right. and I ran every, everybody down and passed everybody in my class, Thorpe and, yeah. and and Wardy and everybody, and ended up winning the 500 class. And if you if you look at the pictures, I'd, I'd caught Stanton on the last lap. Oh, yeah. But I wasn't able to make the pass on Jeff, who was in the 250 class. Right. Because I caught him the last lap, but I'd, I had to start on the second row. Jeez. Back then, you yeah. had two, two yeah. rows. It yeah. wasn't like... Like it is nowadays. Yep. This was yeah. uh, in Germany, '89. Super fast track, hard pack, really hard pack, yeah. and really fast. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I got to prove then that uh, that I was one of the the fastest riders in the world. And then after that, you know, Italy only lost the championship that year by two points. And uh, Puzard won the 125 class, and I'd won the 500 class. But uh, Fantone had had some uh, bad races in the 250, mm-hmm. and after that's when uh, they started making the rule changes that you had to have a passport for the country that you lived in. But you did ride for Lux- Luxembourg another year, right? No, Billy rode for Luxembourg. Oh, I never did. I thought you did too. So that was it. You did the one Des Nations, or did you do more? Well, I did one more Des Nations in in Sweden. Uh, and they they put me back on the 125 for that, but we had uh, mechanical issues, yeah. so I, I really didn't get to do nothing at that Des Nations. And then after that, that was it. You had a passport. You had a passport at this time, an Italian passport, so you were able to ride. No, because no? Oh. they had they hadn't passed that rule that they'd been uh, okay. talking about it. And then after that year, because Billy did really good for Luxembourg, mm-hmm. and then uh, they uh, that's when the rule passed. 
completely. Um, so after that, if you didn't have a passport, you couldn't ride the destinations. Did was it? I mean, did you get some flack at all from? I guess you were kind of removed from it, but did did American people or American motorcycle industry give you some some shit for? For racing for Italy? I mean, was there any of that going on? I would imagine you, you might have heard it from a few people. No, you know, no. I, I really didn't. Oh, because okay. all I wanted to do was ride, ride against the best riders. Right. And unfortunately, that's the only race of the year yeah. that everybody shows up at one time. Um, so, 91, you, you, switched to, uh, you switched to Honda. And, uh, I mean, sorry, no, 90. Yeah, 91, you, you ride Honda. 91. Um, HRC team. Who are you going up against? Schmidt, I would imagine. Donnie Schmidt. Puzar again. Uh, uh, Puzar. Um, Stribos. Um, I don't remember yeah. all the names. Healy was on the KTM. Um, yeah. Was this the year that you guys went to Japan and Healy uh, took a swing at Stanton? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. Huh? Yeah, because yeah, that, yeah, was, that, that was the year. You clinched it, I think, maybe that. Did you clinch it at that Yeah. yeah. I, I clinched it at that. What was the factory Honda like in 91? How was that machine? The the bike was the bike was awesome. We uh, we had a, a different frame. The engine was, was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the only problem we had, and it took them to the last race to figure out, back, back then we ran a Dunlop... Uh, moose, mm-hmm. which was a half a moose. It had like a bicycle tire inside of a, a moose, but okay. we had some some trick rims, which were double beaded rims. Yeah. So even if you, even if you got a flat, you could finish the race. Right. But you know you couldn't finish it fast. Your lap times weren't super fast, but you could finish. And uh, HRC had built these rim locks that was supposed to keep the 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 tire from spinning on the. Yeah, on the rim. On the rim, right? But uh, unfortunately, out of all the motos that year, we had oh, I can't remember, but it was close to half the motos we had that I had flat tires. Oh, and geez. It, it, they figured it out. Well, we kept telling them it was the rim lock, but finally, in Japan, at the end of the year, they switched to rim locks, and that's what it was: was the rim lock was cutting, splicing these little tubes. And um, it um, it yep. took them forever to get get that changed. But uh, there were so many motos I was leading that year, and yep. would end up getting a flat tire, and mm-hmm. would drop back, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth place. So uh, that's the only reason it it took me to the last round to, to show up the world championship. Yeah. But we would have won it probably with a with a round or two to go. At this point, um. You're beating down Puzar pretty good over a number of years. How's your relationship with him? Uh, actually, the best thing that ever happened to me and Puzar was the uh, the rivalry. Yeah, because I, I I don't think that uh that either one of us would have would have reached the uh, the status that we reached because if you go out and win easy, it's uh. It means you're you're either super great or there's no competition. Right. And then you get lazy. Mm-hmm. Well, every time one of us won, the other one would 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 work harder. So the the thing was was you'd you'd go home after GP or or I would, and I think 
you know, I just smoked him this weekend, but I know he's fixing to go home and bust yeah. his tail. Yeah. So I better go home and act like he kicked my butt this week and bust my tail harder. Right, right. And uh, that that was the one thing that really helped me was the work that get, that I had. Um, I could uh, normally we would run. Oh, I, I'd run with a cross country team uh, in the evenings and stuff, and. We'd go out and put in a, at least a half a marathon once a week, and mm-hmm. and on a slow slow half marathon run up in the mountains, we was like in an hour and twenty four minutes. Right, um, and that that's doing oh huge elevation changes. Yeah, and um, I did a lot a lot of bicycling and a lot of jogging, and the biggest problem for me was probably overtraining because. My deal was was every day I wanted to beat anything I did from the day before. So when when I'd go out and jog mm-hmm. and do my normal jog, which uh, I had a, a six mile mountain loop, um, every day I'd try to beat my time. Right. And uh, nowadays, with the way training's evolved, mm-hmm. you know that there's there's times that your body needs to rest. Well. It luckily my doctor figured out that that um I was becoming anemic every summer. Oh, okay. And uh that that was one of the things I would get down during the summer, my body would get weak and as it would get weak I would train harder. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, cause finally he realized that uh that my vitamin iron was completely gone. And uh once they started building my vitamin iron back up, mm-hmm. uh things started changing for me. And it got better. Um, the the ninety with the with the riders of the nations that you had and a couple of world titles under your belt. Were you looking to come back? Were you talking to teams over in America? Was anybody interested in in having you race for them back home, or were you just set on making money and and winning world titles in Europe? You know, at at that point with the with the having kids and stuff, mm-hmm. um, and my wife didn't like it over here in America. There wasn't there wasn't no way she was coming stateside. <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so it put me in a situation where I either had to walk away from the kids mm-hmm. to do what I did love to do, or I could stay over there and and do it over there. Right. So I'm I made the choice that I stayed over there. Yeah. Um. Uh. And because yeah, I would imagine that you know your 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 rides would would open some eyes and. As a matter of fact, after you won the world title, you, I remember you racing some the first few rounds of the American Supercross Series in '92. You yeah, uh, we uh, you came over. I, sh- I showed up and, and rode the first few rounds of the Supercross, and yep. and actually it was pretty weird because um, I hadn't sat on a bike since uh, you know in '91 when I won the world world championship. Yep. I was also I won all three Italian championships that year. I won the 125. Italian championship, yeah. I won the 250 Italian championship, and I won the 500 Italian championship. And they were three race series in each class. Right. Well, after I did that, that, that ended up putting me at, at six six Italian championships overall that I'd won. Yeah. And they fixed it. After I did that, they fixed it so no foreign rider could win an Italian championship unless they was a born citizen of Italy. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Because they were scared I was going to end up breaking records. Right, right. So it it would be kind of like saying over here, okay, uh, Reed and and 
and all the uh, yeah. the guys from overseas, y'all can race, but you can't win the championship. Right, so yeah. whoever finishes second or third behind you will be the Supercross champion. It, you know, it's kind of stupid, well, but it, the, the, it was their way of stopping me from winning winning the, championships. At this point, though, you'd been living there for three or four or five years. You probably spoke Italian. Your, your wife was Italian. I mean, you were as much ingrained in the Italian way of life as, as, as anybody. You just hadn't been born there, you know? Um so it's not like you were just some guy from Southern California who came over for a year, you know? That's yeah, but they, they did not, they did not they, like yeah. somebody that was not Italian right. winning right. Italian championships. So they put a stop to it. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's still the same way to this day. Yeah. Um, so in 92, you formed your own team? In 92, it, it was actually still still the Honda team. Okay. Um they they gave me a percentage of the team. Oh, okay. And um, you, you um, did you hire Mickey Diamond? Know, did you ride with Mickey Diamond or something? I I convinced the the team to pick up Mickey, uh-huh. and uh, um, that year we uh, we we could have won the title again. Mm-hmm. The the bike that was when Honda made the big change. Yeah, and, they, they went to an all bike, bike. Yeah, the bike wasn't. It wasn't ready because we could still take the the ninety one factory bike out, and we were about a second and a half a lap faster on the ninety one bike. Oh yeah, compared to the ninety two bike. Yep. But we were still in the hunt, and I kept trying to get Honda to let us make some changes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I told him, I said, you know, the ninety two bike rides better than the ninety one, but the engine's not working. I said, let's drop the ninety one engine in the ninety two bike and and win the title. Yep. But uh. Um, with HRC, then the thing was was this is the way we built the bike, yeah, and this is the way we'll finish it. Now in in that in in the next year in '93, we'll have the engine working so you can win the championship then. Yeah, but my deal was was why throw away a title when you when you can still win it? Right, right. But uh, they, um, you know, they're. Uh, was was we built the bike this way and that's the way it's going to be and i think that's the one reason why over here in america you know team honda always had more input of what they did to the bikes because you know as good as hrc is and and they've always been unbelievable at building motorcycles even those guys make mistakes every once in a while Mm -hmm. um you know, another I did one of these with John Michelle Bale, and uh, that's another guy that said the '92 Honda wasn't wasn't nearly as good as the '91. Didn't didn't like the bike very much. He defended his titles that year, and uh, yeah, said the same thing. Didn't like the bike. Um, no, the, the bike wasn't wasn't uh, near as good as the '91 bike. But yeah, uh, if they would have just let me put the the '91 engine in the '92 frame, um, uh, we could still won the title. Mickey Mickey didn't last long, did he? Did, did he get hurt? Or? Uh, I, I think Mickey finished the year out. Yeah, um, okay. I think the biggest biggest problem was was um, we weren't getting paid. Uh, oh, the yeah. Martin Honda team who ran the factory team, which I, I think Martin still, still runs the they team. They still do, yeah. yeah. He, he wasn't paying. And uh, to this day, I still haven't received <laughs> any of my money. Right. Uh, but over in Italy, it was easy just to bankrupt and reopen the next day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, there's a lot of stories of Italian GP teams over the years. I've been to, yeah. I've been over there for Des Nations. I've gone and seen 
three or four GPs over the years, and there's a lot of stories about Italian uh, um, GP teams. And Jimmy Albertson, an American who rode for Martin Honda three years ago, uh, yep. he didn't get paid either all of his money. Oh, I, I, I could have told them that before they went. I, I tried to make everybody understand right, that right. the Martin Honda guy doesn't pay. Uh, but uh, um, the only world championship he ever won, I won it for him. Right, right. The but, um, the uh, the ninety. How'd you get along with Donnie Schmidt? I think he won in ninety two. Donnie stayed in Belgium a lot. Yeah, uh, he was a uh, he. He kind of stayed to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I can't say I can't say nothing negative about him. He yeah. uh, he won two world championships. Yeah, yeah. He was kind of like right behind you a little bit. Uh, came over, I think, a year after you did one, and then followed you up through the through the ranks a little bit. What a glorious time for um, uh, an American motocross fan! You had uh, yourself and Donnie and Mike Healy and Bobby Moore all racing, and and Bader Manet was racing and doing well. And it was uh, it was almost like a, an American series at that point. You guys had taken over. Yeah, even uh, and don't forget Willie Surratt. Uh, Willie had come over when his Suzuki ride had fell through. I did forget about Willie. State. Yeah, I did forget about Willie. He came over? Will, yeah, Willie and Tracy. Uh, Willie and Tracy lived with me for about a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, I, I know uh, Willie's always called, called a lot of flack and, and, and people always said Willie this and Willie that. But uh, Willie was probably one of the funnest guys mm-hmm. I've ever got to train with, and uh, we'd go out, we'd go out and, and train. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, believe it or not, Willie would go out and and, and train, <laughs> um, and it was fun. I had somebody there to ride with, and between Willie and Bader, mm-hmm. uh, we would get out and ride together, and man, we would have some knock down, drag out practices. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it's funny because Willie was the guy. There was only two guys that knew I was going to Honda in in uh, ninety one. Ninety one, yeah. And uh, at the end of ninety, when Honda approached me, there was a few GPs left, mm-hmm. and I told him, I said, before I agree to ride ride for y'all, I want to ride the bike. Mm-hmm. So I had this big big dirt pit that I had a practice a private track up in, mm-hmm. and it had some sick jumps because of Bader. Bader <laughs> would always come up with these these deals. One day we're going to jump from here to there, and he never would do it. And then it would put <laughs> me there thinking about this stuff uh-huh. for a month or so, and then I would end up doing these off-the-wall jumps. Well, as these, these jumps came in, I would end up including them into my practice track. And some of them were you had to jump it or you couldn't ride the track. And I had this just <laughs> wicked track. Well, there was one jump that Willie and 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 Bader and no nobody could do. Well, w- Willie he was on the Yamaha team at the time, mm-hmm. and he happened to be there the day that Honda brought the bike out, and yep. I got to test it. Right. And uh, I would I'd I'd do it on my my two fifty KTM, and and then I I was doing it on the Honda that day. Mm-hmm. Well, Willie goes. Hey, can I can I take that KTM and jump that jump? He said it's it's because my bike won't make it. Yeah, and we're down there, and I'm in in between testing and stuff. And Willie takes my my KTM out, and 
we see him, and he rides around, around, and and goes to the top of the jump, and we see him up there looking at it, and I think, well, you know, he's just studying the jump. He's fixing to jump this jump. Yeah. And we're down there in the bottom of this pit, and the next thing we hear is my KTM revving up and flying off this cliff. Uh Uh-huh. And this thing flies all the way off this cliff and lands down at the bottom. And Willie hollers from the top, I want to see you jump it now on that bike. (laughs) And, uh... I'm like, oh my gosh! So uh, he pretty much trashed my my KTM practice bike. Right, <laughs> funny. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't forgot about him being over there and racing. Um, yeah. Would you say uh, um, your, your maybe your biggest regret was that ninety five five hundred world title, and and how maybe how close you came to it? Let's just say I won the five hundred world title. Barryoli <laughs> didn't want me to because of bonus. Right, right, right. Um, that's 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 a bummer for sure. Um, yeah. When you were all done with the uh, with the racing, were you able to save a lot of money and put some money away and do all that? I imagine you you made pretty good money over that five, six, seven year run, huh? Yeah. Let's just say I'm I'm not going to complain. Right. Uh, that's good. But yeah. uh, so, um, things went 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 good. I, I was able to buy land and and different things, but uh, yeah. You uh, so definitely um, had you had to do it all over again. Maybe going going to that Magoo Magoo uh, charity race uh, might have been the best thing, best decision you ever made, huh? Uh, if I could do it all over again, probably I would I would have really loved in my prime to come stateside, right? And and tried to win a title over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think I could have because you know. When when I did come over and and ride, the speed was there. And yeah. in in '89, I showed that on a 125 that was completely uncompetitive. Right to be able to run run up there with those guys. This nations um, ride, yeah. This nations ride, and the this nations ride and stuff. So to have to have come over, mm-hmm. I feel like I could have come over here and and won titles also. But, uh, but um. You know, I took the choice to stay over there with with my with my kids, and, and right. that's the choice I made. I, I can't go back on it. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can can do nowadays is is I still enjoy riding, mm-hmm. but uh, is is I'm able to help help riders and um, the uh, the riders that I've worked with, all of them's improved, and there's there's been nothing better than taking a kid who's never won a title and right. working with him. A little bit and watching watching these kids and and stuff win mm-hmm. titles. Yeah, it's kind of a second career a little bit. You, you you can see these guys and enjoy the success through them again. Yes, it's it's always it's it's great because uh, whether I'm riding or, or or kids that I'm out there working with or riding, you know, when I, when they're racing, it's it's almost like I'm out there with them because you put in put in right. time, you ride with them and everything, uh-huh. and uh, you know. You're wanting wanting the best for them because you, you see the work that they're putting in. Right, right. And um, it's um, it's always great to see see a kid that um, that you uh, that you work with putting in great results. Uh-huh. And then you know another thing that I, that I enjoyed. Uh, um, Sherry, she she never even rode a motorcycle till she was forty five years old. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, she started riding, and we do cross country and stuff with her, and 
That's cool. Um, yeah. She'll be she'll be forty eight next year, and uh, she made the comment, "Why, why don't I try to go to Loretta's?" Oh yeah, and, uh, yeah. You know, she'd never even sat on a motorcycle till she was forty five. So, uh, uh, I might spend a little more time working with her this year and see if if we can. Well, that'd be cool. Yeah. Oh, I don't I don't know if she'd make it to Loretta's, but um, <laughs> she could definitely make it to the regionals right. and prove that it's never too late to start riding a motorcycle. That's kind of cool. Um, hey, the the Heinz Kindergartner's teammate has been driving me nuts the whole show. Peter Hansen, I think. Yeah, Peter, Peter Hansen. That's him. I, I was—I've been racking my brain because I can picture him in my mind, and I couldn't. The guy could ride a motorcycle. He was a good rider. Uh, yeah. I, I finally came to me near the end of this thing, and thank God. So, uh, can you still? How's your Italian? Is it rusty? Can you can you order uh, from Olive Garden pretty well? <laughs> yeah, I can. I can still speak it. Uh, actually, my uh, youngest son just come over and spent a, a month with me and Sherry. Uh huh. And um, I got to. To speak a little bit. I, I hadn't spoken since '06, but uh, yeah. I did speak it fluently before I left because, uh, right. you know, there's nothing that really, uh, excuse my language, pisses me off more uh-huh. than an athlete living in America for years and we still have to have an interpreter for him. Yeah, yeah. The, the... If you don't come over and work here, yeah. at least learn the language. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. So. Um, yeah, there's baseball guys and hockey players that, that, that do that all the time. That drives me nuts. The, uh, well, we got boxers that, that was born here, yeah. raised here, and they can't speak nothing but Mexican. Um, so you have a couple of ch- uh, kids in, in Italy still that, that live in, live there and, and, uh, I have one son that still lives there and, uh, my oldest son, he, uh, he come over. He come over to the states uh, with me. Uh-huh. He took, he took a different direction. He did uh he did road racing. Oh, okay. But uh, he um, on his third year he won the AMA Supersport uh, West Coast Championship. But un- unfortunately, in road racing, or just about like anything, uh, motorsports, the economy took a dump. Yeah, yeah. Road racing got hit. Yeah. yeah. And uh, to keep him in a team, it was going to end up costing me money. After he had won Yamaha, their only championship in uh, mm-hmm. what's it oh nine baby? Yeah, in oh nine he he won uh, Yamaha, you know, mm-hmm. their championship, and uh, it mm. seemed like he had a guaranteed ride. But uh, right. unfortunately, that year when Honda and Cowie pulled out, yeah. and uh, um, I was going to end up having to pay um, a couple of hundred thousand to put him in a team because some of the factory riders were offering that kind of money to be on teams. Yeah. Yeah. That's road race is big like that now. And, uh, but, uh, well, motocross is that way too. It's because, getting that uh, way. Yeah, it is. A, a lot, a lot of the teams are taken and, uh, especially in the world championships, if you look at it right now, um, and it was becoming that way toward when I left, yep. the teams were hiring one good rider and then they was hiring some kid with a rich parent. Yeah. And um, that's how they were flipping the bills for their team. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, in Europe right now, um, the teams have the spots for the GPs. Yeah. So if yeah. it would have been like that back when I was when I first went over there, I'd have never had the chance to become world championship. Yeah, I world uh, champion because uh, I wouldn't have been able to buy my way into a team. I wrote that actually in a column. I went to Lomo last year to the GP last year, and I went to Teutschental the year before. I try to make it over. Uh, once a year to a GP along with the Disnations. And I wrote in my column and in my race report, there'd never be a Trampas Parker today. 
No way. No, there never, there never will be another one. And, and that's disappointing. That's unfortunately, to, uh, the way they do things, unless they change the system, and thank goodness here in America, the privateers can still go try to qualify. Yeah, you could still get that local hero who, who knows, could get a top ten, get a top five somewhere, and, uh, you know, and, and go from there. Over overseas, unfortunately, it's uh, yeah. there's not there's not a team that doesn't have a paying rider on it. Yeah, and it's a shame because there's there's riders who deserve these rides, but unfortunately, you know, this guy can pay me this this rider's dad's gonna give me a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, so I'm gonna put him on the team even though he can't ride a motorcycle. Yeah, but uh, and he's you know he's. 20 seconds off of qualifying. Yep. Yeah. But the, he's putting a quarter of a million dollars in my pocket, so we're going to put him on the team. The British riders and, have been hit hard by that. The, 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 a lot of the British guys just stay home now and ride the ACUs because yeah, of Yeah, and uh, it, it's that. a shame. Yeah. And, and I'm telling you, there's some fast British riders because uh, they have some of the all, most awesome tracks. Their mm-hmm. tracks get ruddy, they get rough. Um, they learn to ride in all sorts of conditions because they have sand, mm-hmm. they have loam, they have they have everything in England. And um, I spent some time up up at Dobbs House, mm-hmm. you know, over the years doing some riding, and yep. uh, and they they got some of the coolest tracks there there is. A couple of questions to wrap this thing up. Uh, you've been everywhere, Trampus. You've traveled the world, literally racing motorcycles. Don't know if you've been to Australia yet, but maybe you have. Um, no, I never went down under. Okay, besides that, give me the best track you've ever ridden at in your life. Your, your favorite track. Uh, I'm going to say there was, um, there was probably two tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arsago Sabrio in Italy where they used to have the fast cross. I don't know if you ever had a chance to go over there and do it. No, I, I've seen videos from it, though, yeah. It's uh, They brought in all the top Americans. Right. Uh, they had a – oh, who was – Jeff, what was the big track builder? Uh, Savitsky? John Savitsky? John Savinsky. They brought in Savinsky and had him build this track over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a full-blown, an American – Supercross outdoor track. Yeah. And every year they would bring in the top ten riders from the U.S. and and back then you was getting huge start money because I I know back then I, I was getting like fifteen thousand dollars to do right. a race and you'd you'd get this money just to show up mm-hmm. and then you had the top ten Americans and you you had uh, McGrath and you had. Ricky Johnson at the end of his career, you yep. had Bradshaw, you had every top guy, Lachine, all these guys were there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that track was one of the absolute coolest tracks that there ever was that I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, you could pass anywhere. It had stadium whoops. It, it was had, hilly too, right? It was really hilly? It had, it it wasn't huge hills, uh-huh. but it, it, it had some elevation and Savinsky took this thing and just turned it into a super motocross track. Mm-hmm. And uh, that race went on for years. And then finally, um, because the organizer got in around with the Italian championships over politics, mm-hmm. um, 
he ended up stopping the race. But that fast cross race was one of the coolest. Was it? And uh, that was uh, one one of the races that I enjoyed that that I'd won that I was able to run Stanton down and and pass Stanton on the last lap through the whoop section. Mm-hmm. And um, that that was a fun race because the Americans would show up. They always had all their suspension and everything. Yep. And it it was great. And then the other track that that always came to mind, and I don't know if you ever got to go to Hawkstone Park in in uh, in England. Nope, saw videos of it though. Yeah, yeah. But it is a full blown sand track with a uphill yeah, that looks like it's probably <laughs> I don't know how long it really is. It looks like a quarter of a mile, but it's it's probably only a hundred, a hundred and fifty yards. Mm-hmm. And you would hit this thing in fifth gear on a one twenty five wide open and by the time you'd get to the top you would be down in second gear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looked big. I think I it saw it was huge. And that was a cool, super cool motocross track. I saw a video of it uh from the late eighties where Thorpe was obviously the the man and they were freaking out over Thorpe and yeah, that hill was insane. It was uh it was big. Um Yeah, that it was really big. All right, last question for you. Uh, give me the best rider you've ever raced against. The the the, the guy who, who impressed you the most. The, the, the you know maybe Puzar, maybe Stanton. Um, just give me a guy that. Uh, well, I'm I'm going to go with with Puzar because yeah. that's the guy that I rode against all the time. Right. I'm sure if I would have been over here, it, w- it would have been American Rider. But mm-hmm. I only rode against him, you know, a, yeah. a, a, a few times a year. Right. But uh, on on every. Any given weekend, it was Puzar that I was racing against, and uh, I couldn't ask for anybody that uh, made racing more fun because right. when I got beat by him, I went home and just worked my butt off harder. Um, and when I beat him, it was just like great. And uh, we we weren't the best of friends. Right. But we could sit down and eat together, and we had mutual respect. Yeah. But when we every time we looked each other in the face, it was like you know, I'm fixing to kick your butt, <laughs> and he was thinking the same thing. Yeah. And each one of us knew it, and we each knew that's what we was working for. And uh, it didn't matter if it was a local local race mm-hmm. or if it was a GP. When the gate dropped, we had one thing in mind, and that was each of us wanted to beat the other rider. Did you have fans in Italy? That preferred you over Puzar, or was it oh, always? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was. It, it, okay. wasn't, it wasn't nothing. I can remember one year we're at a big international race, and I had a huge fan club that would wear my shirt. Mm-hmm. Puzar had a huge fan club that would wear his shirt, and we're signing autographs when the two fan clubs decide to throw down on each other. <laughs> nice. And it took the police nice. forever to get them apart. <laughs> but but I did have a huge following in Italy. Okay, and, yeah. uh, well that's good. And yeah. I think I think a lot of that was because I learned to speak the Italian language, right? Uh, and I always told it the way it really was. Right. Um, it it didn't always make people happy. Um, the Italian Federation always did everything they could to try to keep me from winning, to keep me from uh, mm-hmm. winning titles. I was I was probably the only guy that was ever drug tested at nine out of the nine Italian races that year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, random drug test. Right. I was ra- randomly picked six times out of the six world championships. Incredible. But uh, <laughs> it's like I told him. I said, show up at my house any given day of the week, and I- I'll give you all a drug test. I said, but why don't y'all do it to some of the other riders? Right, right. Uh, unfortunately, it, it it didn't work that way. But uh, 
Yeah. I can, you know, I have to thank the country of Italy. And um, even though they made it hard on me, that's probably what made me want to win that much more because uh, I can remember remember the times when the Italian Federation wouldn't release me to go ride internationals in other countries to keep me from getting the practice on yeah. the, the, the GP tracks. And they would release Puzar to go race, but they would make me stay in Italy. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And the the federations have that that power. Mm-hmm. But uh, after I won the the, the ninety one World Championship, uh, and they had the uh, the Golden Helmet Award, uh, I pretty much got to say what I wanted when I stepped up on the podium, and uh, um, mm-hmm. I told told the head guys of the Italian Federation exactly what I thought about them. <laughs> nice. Um, well, hey, thanks, uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, went a lo- lot longer than I thought it would, but you, you've got such a, uh, you've got a great memory for one, and uh, and uh, a great story also. So, um, thank you for for doing this and educating everybody. And 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 Trampus Parker, MXS dot uh, com. If anybody wants to uh, talk to Trampus, learn learn some riding skills uh, from a two time world champion, um, look them up for sure. And um, Thank you again, Trampus. I really appreciate it. Well, well, thank you, and uh, um, you know, thank thanks to Racer X, and uh, thanks to all all you guys, the journalists, and everybody who's uh, made made riders uh, who they are today. And really, Davey uh, is the guy who who got me known here in the U.S. Because mm-hmm. when I was racing overseas, Davey was the guy who. Uh, who gave me more publicity than anybody. And then, you know, once you're winning the world championships, everybody jumps on board. Of course, but, uh, right, right. Davey was the guy before anybody jumped on board who uh, who was the one that was coming overseas and uh, and stuff. And uh, he's, uh, I've been good friends he, with him ever since. And, man, he's, he's done some wonderful things. He's a great uh, student of motocross history and loves it and appreciates it. And I imagine... When he saw Trampus Parker in '89 winning, he he thought that I have to go find that guy and talk to him. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think uh, uh, you know now that that my son isn't uh, racing and anything. David always uh, asked me to write a book, and if I ever did, I would I would probably do it with Davy Coombs mm-hmm. uh, because there's so many things that I know how things went and yeah. uh, how things went down over the years. Uh, why certain championships were won and why certain championships were lost. Right. And uh, I just never would tell tell certain things because I knew if my son ever got into racing, I didn't want um, I didn't yeah. want the uh, Italian Federation upset at him. Yeah. But uh, one day I'll write this book. Yeah. And, and when I do, I'll tell how things really are. And um, um, there's a few things I'd like to to make clear. And uh, <laughs> right. When I do write the book, you'll even see Phil Larson's name in there, who took a bad rap for something that he that he didn't do. Yeah, it was in the and, magazines back then. I remember they said Phil has to leave, had to leave Italy under suspicious circumstances. <laughs> well, the suspicious circumstances weren't what they really were. Right, uh, right. Phil took a drug rap charge at the time, and it was not true. You know, I don't know what Phil did in his life when I wasn't around. Mm-hmm. But uh, the day that, that the drugs showed up at his house, uh, they they weren't there. The police brought them in, and that's just because the Italian team didn't want feel riding that's for them anymore. Incredible. And the cops walked in, laid the drugs on the table, and told Phil, you got two choices. You can either leave, terminate your contract, and the drugs disappear, or we're going to get you on drug charges. 
Wow, really? And um, that's the true story about it. And uh, don't don't worry, there's plenty of good stories to put in a book yeah. that will keep you interested in reading the book. I bet, I bet. Uh, Trampus Parker, BTOsports.com, RacerX podcast show. Thanks again. I appreciate the stories, and um, good luck with everything, man. Uh, a great career, and, and it's still going on. So congratulations, and thanks. Thank you, and, and thank all the sponsors that back these riders that keep them going today. All right. Thanks, bud. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Steve Mathis Show. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to find the more than 200-episode archive or get the Pulp MX app for your iPhone for the complete Pulp MX fix. 